Matt Walklake joins me on episode 39. Matt is based in Manchester and has worked as a professional musician throughout his life, playing mainly blues and traditional music using a variety of harmonicas. He started out with a love for Sonny Boy Williamson II and was soon touring Europe in a blues band. His interest in traditional music came from learning the tin whistle and he also picked up other instruments for this genre including the flutes and pipes. Matt supplements his playing income through teaching with one-on-one group teaching and online. Devoted to laying down some tracks, he has plenty of albums and online material available, including various efforts recording songs with a multitude of harmonicas to accompany his deep vocals, something that he's really developed over the last year during the lockdown. Hello, Matt Walklate, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Neil. You're from the northwest of England, like myself. So you're originally from Stoke-on-Trent, uh, and then you moved up to Manchester, yeah? That's true, yeah. I moved in 1988. Uh, and uh, was that to, you know, take on the harmonic of Manchester scene? <laughs> no, it was to go to university, but I, uh, I never left. You never left university? Uh, no, I never left Manchester. Still at the University of Harmonica. So what did you do at university? Uh, believe it or not, zoology. That's amazing you should say that, because my daughter's currently thinking about doing a zoology course. So uh, would she turn into a harmonica player if she, um, <laughs> if she, if she studied zoology? No, I would assume she'd be a much better student than I ever was and uh, take it seriously and not be uh, uh, swayed by music. So is it when you moved to Manchester that you got into music or were you, you know, were you into, were you into playing music when you were younger? Um, I started with the harmonica when I was around the age of 16. Um, I heard a recording which turned out to be Sonny Boy Williamson, the second, uh, or Rice Miller, as he's known. The, the sound just grabbed me and I, th- I thought, I want to, I want to get, get into that. I want to, uh, to try and do that. So I asked for a harmonica for my birthday and I got one. And uh, it's been downhill ever since. You better watch out, brother boy. This guy loud to drop a chunk on you. Do you play other instruments now, such as the flute and the Eolian pipes, however you say it? So they came after us, did they? Well, I started on the, the tin whistle. Um, around the same time as the harmonica and I played those just those instruments just diatonic and tin whistle for maybe two or three years and then eventually I got a flute and much later a set of illin pipes that it's pronounced illin which apparently is Gaelic for elbow because uh, we have bellows on them Uh, you use your elbow to uh, inflate them you don't blow into them and I, I, I own a guitar as well. I wouldn't call myself a guitarist, but I know three chords. And of course you sing too. I do. Did you say you started playing diatonic and 
tin whistle to get at more or less the same time. So were at that time you were, you were into playing traditional music or obviously you'd listen to Sunny Boy as well. So was it a mixture of both right from the beginning? On the harmonica, predominantly at the beginning, it was mainly blues. Later on, started the uh, Herculean task of trying to play traditional music on the harmonica. And it's not, as you know yourself, it's not the easiest thing in the world. It's very popular now, isn't it? A lot of people do that. And it sounds great on the harmonica, doesn't it, that traditional music? I mean, what made you pick up trying to play traditional songs? It, it kind of fed in from playing the, the whistle and the flute. I thought I'd, I'd try to learn to do it on the harmonica. So uh, I listened to people like the, the Murphy family from County Wexford. It was a father and two sons produced a, a, a wonderful album many years ago on the Cladder label. I loved their playing, and uh, so that was a good starting point. Over the years, I learned to retune the diatonic slightly uh, for Irish music, so the so-called Paddy Richter tuning, bringing the three blow notes up a tone, usually on a G harmonica, so it gives you a note of E, which makes playing the tunes a lot easier. You're not having to bend to achieve that note. Yes, I broke a lot of diatonics, but I eventually learned how to retune them, and also started playing a lot more on the chromatic uh, because uh, that gives us obviously a full scale and also the opportunity to play in different keys uh, more easily. And, and also the tremolo harmonica. Sad to say, I, I don't play much tremolo these days, but I did go through a phase of uh, playing quite a lot. I actually quite like playing the tremolo. So what was it like then around Manchester at this time, playing the harmonica with a decent blue scene and an Irish scene, I think, there as well for you? Yeah, there was a long-standing, vibrant Irish music scene there because obviously a huge expatriate population and then their children and their children. There were lots of sessions. You could go to a session every night of the week and kind of learn your craft. It's an oral tradition. Most of the tunes are learned by ear, and uh, it was quite a welcoming and friendly environment to to go and sit in and and pick up the tunes. And uh, surprisingly, how quick you achieve a repertoire of of tunes. You know, it was it was good for that. And also, there, there was a a blue scene in Manchester. Uh, it wasn't enormous, but you know, there was a, a fair bit going on, uh, which was good again because it, it gave people like me, the opportunity to, to play and to go to jam sessions and to meet other musicians and uh, and hone that craft as well. Yeah, and again, the northwest of England's got quite a good scene because you had the, the Burnley Blues Festival and the Cone Blues Festival stood in there. So it did, I think that partly drew me into in, around there as well. Did, uh, did you attend those festivals? I did. In fact, I won the uh, Blues Harmonica Contest at Burnley. They used to have a, a championship every year. I believe it was... 1990 or 91 when I won the uh, the, the Blues Harmonica competition uh, which uh, made me feel very happy and I, I played at the festival with a band that I was later joined uh, a year or two later and we saw some great acts at the festival like Rick Estrin and you know, little Charlie Beatty we supported uh, Joe Lewis Walker once and that was very good to see as well fantastic uh, band so yeah, it was. It's a shame that Burnley is now defunct. It used to be quite a nice festival. 
as to you know your development and learning uh, how did you how did you get onto learning the harmonica did what listen to records and playing by ear yes pretty much because um, back back in the, the stone age when i first started uh, there was no internet the resources for learning harmonica were few and far between i think it was mainly the, the sort of mel bay harmonica books if you remember those learn blues harmonica learn country harmonica etc so for me it was a case of and it was records as well when mainly when i first started it was vinyl i used to have to do things like put weights on the on the record to slow it down because occasionally in the recording and, and producing process records would be sped up or slowed down so if say say little walter for instance played a uh, a song on an a harmonica when you listen to the record it sounds like it's in A flat or B flat, depending on what they've done with it. Sometimes I had to slow down the record ever so slightly to bring the pitch. Because yeah, obviously, when you when you first start to play the harmonica, you don't have every key. I only had a, I couldn't afford uh, loads, so I only had a few keys. But yeah, um, listening to records and what little might appear on the on the on the television. Occasionally, there would be uh, documentaries or uh, interviews with musicians there's that famous film obviously of Sonny Boy at Granada Studios in Manchester so yeah you talk about learning in the way that we used to learn and I learned too by basically learning from records and what do you think then about the difference between then and now where people have got tons and tons of resources on the internet and teachers on the internet and all sorts of videos and I mean what do you think the difference do you think there's better then or now or I guess what you take from it I think you have to say it is better now because everything's so much more accessible and there there are so many resources out there, everything from backing tracks on, say, YouTube, which are free and great to play along with and, and, to, and to work things out and to uh, learn how to create a solo, for instance. online i teach via things like skype and zoom and those kind of things so it is uh, more egalitarian if you like and more accessible uh, as with everything with the internet there's good and bad and indifferent stuff out there and i'm not saying this just because i teach harmonica privately and in classes but nothing can really beat a face-to-face teaching scenario because you can ask questions and you can ask questions in the moment and you can you can see the student and the student can see you. So you can look at things like things as basic as how how they're holding the harmonica. I go back to what I said before. It's a great thing. It's a, it's a wonderful resource. But at the end of the day, nothing really beats a face-to-face chat about playing the harmonica. Yeah, of course. I think you've got to separate the wheat from the chaff, haven't you? That's the important thing. When there's so much on offer, I think if you get a good quality resource, then then yeah, fantastic. I mean, the ability to be able to access so many players, you know, it's just incredible, isn't it? The only bugbear I have with some of the online things is that uh, certain people advise beginners to tilt the harmonica downwards 
sort of they can achieve single notes more easily, which works. It does work. But unfortunately, if you persist with that technique, you'll never be able to bend the notes effectively. You won't have the control. So that's, that's, that's the only thing that I sort of uh, come across now and again that I think that's that's not really great advice I think you know maybe it's nostalgia where you think if you kind of absorb yourself and learn yourself from records that is somehow that makes you you know kind of go through the pain a little bit more but <laughs> yeah. it's probably yeah. not true is it? I mean like you say if you've got a bit of guidance that, that's going to help for sure I think it's a much slower process Yeah, I think the way I learned and, and I assume that it's very similar to the way you learned we do go up quite a lot of blind alleys yeah. uh, and also uh, our unaware of things that the harmonica can and can't do these days within seconds you can find an answer to a question things can be explained extremely quickly for instance obviously when i first started i knew nothing about bending the notes nothing about holding the harmonica correctly nothing about using cupping techniques and all all these kind of vibratos and all these kind of things so uh, i think it does quicken the process modern technology and, of course, and you mentioned you're on teaching. You've, you've got some online lessons on Music Guru, haven't you? I'll put links onto that. Yes. Uh, if uh, <laughs> if you look at those, in my defence, I was ill. Uh, I, had, I had a rotten cold, and I had to get a, a 5 a.m. train from Manchester to London and then navigate the tube to Hoxton. Um, and then they recorded me solidly for something like six hours. Uh, so I looked like uh, the living dead <laughs> on, that, on that video. So you, um, you know, teaching is quite an important part of you. You know, you you work full time as a musician, don't you? So that that's how you supplement your income. Has that helped over the last year? Have you managed to do some t- online teaching? I've done a little bit of online teaching, and it has helped. Thankfully, in just in the past week, uh, I managed to restart face to face lessons, which is wonderful. It's been nice to uh, sit across a table from someone and uh, and teach them how to play the harmonica. Skype and these other things are. They're useful, but uh, like I said, nothing beats being there in person. And I'll put, um, I'll, you know, your contact details in case people want to get in touch about your own lessons. And is the best way to do that through your email? Yeah, email is probably best. So getting on then onto your, you know, starting to the recordings you've done. So the, the first one I found of you is uh, with the Moochers in, uh, in the, in the mid nineties. Is that one of your first bands and first recordings you made? The first blues band I ever recorded with was called The Back Scratchers. And I think we recorded a tape uh, back in the days of cassette tapes. And then shortly after, I formed The Moochers with a a guitarist called Andy Pyatt, who's a fantastic guitar player, who now lives down in Bath. And we did three albums with The Moochers and uh, toured all over Europe. And uh, we had some good fun. And... uh, I think, without sounding um, arrogant, uh, we, we recorded a couple of nice songs. As this, you know, I listen, and funnily enough, I spoke to Andy recently, and uh, he'd been listening to our old albums from the nineties, and I had a, another listen, and I thought, actually, <laughs> they're not as bad as I thought. It's some of it's a bit naive because I was only in my early twenties when we first started doing it, so you don't know as much as you think you do at that age. thing about listening to the very first recording I did was I sound like I sound about 12 because as you guys you can hear I've got a relatively deep voice but these these early recordings sound like I'm on helium 
it's, it's got a bit uh, more gravelly over the years. Were you doing all the singing with this band? Yeah. So you were touring Europe at this stage then with these guys as well, like you say. So pretty successful early on. That showed you you could make a career in music, did it? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say we, we earned a, a vast fortune, but uh, we made a little bit of money and we had a lot of fun. And we, you know, we, and we got to places that we might not otherwise have you know seen. We went all over Ireland, a lot of time in Belgium and Holland, a little bit in Germany, Switzerland, France. Yeah, it was good. I think probably in the 90s, we, you know, we did probably didn't think it was a great music scene then, but looking back then, I mean, what do you think as it, as it got worse these days, you know, was there a reasonably good music scene back then? In some ways, yes, in some ways, no. I think looking back, it seemed to be a little easier to get a decent gig back in those days. I think it's a little harder now. Yeah, and what about you know for sort of blues bands? I mean, you know, it seems to be that blues is reasonably popular, and yeah, you can still get blues gigs now, but yeah, maybe not quite as popular as it was back then. I think it's like most things; it, it, it comes in in waves. It peak peaks and troughs of uh, of popularity, and I'm hoping that uh, it will peak again soon. Yeah, we're hoping that well, you know now we're coming out of the pandemic and the and the the pubs are opening and the other venues that yeah we'll get some uh, a great enthusiasm for music it's been quite heartwarming for me that the venues that i've played in the past have recently been getting in touch and and booking us to play blues so uh, i'm looking forward to that yeah and good to see they still uh, survived all this as well mm-hmm. so you played with the moochers through the 90s um what came next from from the moochers for you after the, the moochers um myself and andy the guitar player also recorded an album under the moniker depot or depot if you're american which was more acoustic blues uh, we generally performed as a duo or occasionally with a double bass then andy emigrated to france so um i continued with that name with a, a manchester guitarist and singer called Paul bradley who's an extremely good country blues player and um, we again went to went to ireland and a few other places with with that all during this time obviously i was still playing irish music and formed a band called the house devils and singer called Matt Fahey. We have had the All-Ireland Fiddle Champion, who happens to be from Manchester. Guitar, fiddle, flute, harmonica, etc. And we did we did two studio albums with the House Devils. Is that one of those Cold in April? Cold in April was a solo, it was a solo effort. It, it is Irish music, and it does involve the people that I've just previously mentioned. But I did, I did that as a, as a little solo album. Uh, I managed to put some bass harmonica on that album. Before that as well, you recorded a, uh, a harmonica and flute album. Was that a, a self-produced album? That was um, a kind of mixture, obviously a mixture of flute and, and harmonica. Yes, yes, I recorded that in somebody's spare room in Blackburn. Oh, in Blackburn, that, that's where I'm from, Blackburn. Uh, it was in, in Rishton, you know Rishton? Yeah. Yeah, yeah this uh, guy that I knew who was actually a, 
extremely good harmonica player and, uh, and very good uh, sax player had a little home recording setup. The, the only trouble with that he had a, he had a crazy neighbour who used to stand in her bath and hammer on the wall when we were recording, which, right. which dis- disrupted things a wee bit. And then uh, you've got a you know sticking well on the on the traditional side. You've got an album on Bandcamp of playing traditional harmonic with some great tunes on there, little Maggie. mixture of bluegrass and the, and, the, and Irish stuff and the way for a stranger so is that something you did uh, more recently or I, I rediscovered that album uh, quite recently in uh, back in March because I had had recorded an album with Dick Farrelly in the August of I think 2011 um, Dick Farrelly a fantastic guitar player he was Van Morrison's guitar player in the 1980s just fantastic, a fantastic player, wonderful chops, you know, great skills. Uh, he came over, flew over from Dublin, and we recorded that album. And at the same time, I also recorded an album with the House Devils. And they were, if you like, proper albums. They were properly released on labels, proper CDs in, in you know, in cases with information. In between doing those two things, I also recorded uh, an album called Traditional Harmonica which was more of the stuff that I wanted to do that was harmonica-focused, kind of fell by the wayside because we invested all the money in the Blues album and the House Devils album. It never got properly released. So um, when I came across it again in a box in in March, a friend of mine um, extracted the WAVs, as they're called, from the CD. I uh, put it up on on Bandcamp, and it's been quite well-received, which is very heartwarming. Yeah, there's some good stuff on there. I was, I was enjoying listening to those. Yeah, I think that's a good produced album. Yeah, you play in a Kaylee band sometimes as well, do you? As part of your, uh, you know, repertoire to get some gigs. Yeah, uh, there's there's um, a, steady, a steady market for for Kayleys, uh, usually for weddings, occasionally uh, yeah. for birthdays, and uh, I uh, I quite enjoy doing them. To be honest, as gigs go, they're quite easy because we, we have a caller who explains how the dance progresses. Uh, so they spend 10 minutes explaining the dance and then we play for five minutes and then they spend 10 minutes explaining the next dance. So it's uh, it's quite a laid back uh, affair, really. It's a guilty secret of mine, Matt, as in recent years, I've, I've quite got into going to a Cayley because, first of all, you hear some live music, which is great, you know, and I like the traditional music, and you get, and you, they actually explain, as a gentleman, how, actually how to do the dance, which, you know, as a man, uh, is, I find quite useful because otherwise I've got no idea, like most men, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I quite like the Cayley these days. And um, do you play, you know, harmonica as part of that as well, some flute and whistle and other things? Yeah, I always try and shoehorn a bit of harmonica in there, play some jigs, usually jigs to be honest, uh, in the Kelly in the setup, um, and obviously mainly on the flute and a little bit on the pipes. I haven't been to a Kaylee with harmonica yet. I'd like to see. I'd like to hear that. But uh, yeah, yeah, the Kayleys are great. Yeah, it's, yeah, good place for musicians to play as well. And like you say, get a nice lot of rest. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it also uh, keeps your chops up on the, on playing the tunes because uh, some of the dances you do have to play perhaps for say up to up to ten minutes, maybe even more. 
So it, it does uh, get your muscles in trim. Great, yeah. So, uh, as you say, play with the House Devils, and uh, this is a good album. And then the album with Dick Farrelly is the is the Keep It Clean album, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So on there, you've got a few um, a few jazz tracks. You've got Bags Groove. <laughs> And Sea Jam Blues, so yeah. played up, played on diatonic. Yes, yes, they are. So, w- what about your approach to playing uh, jazz on the diatonic or or the chromatic at all? If you play it on that too, uh, on the diatonic, it's uh, a case of being a little bit circumspect and trying not to get carried away. Me uh, for me personally, <laughs> and uh, just trying to hold on for dear life. Sometimes with the chromatic, obviously, it's uh, there's a little more flexibility but i would not call myself a jazz player i I love it Uh, i love to listen to it and i'll have a go at it from time to time but yeah a lot of respect for people like olivier Kerr-Oreo and uh, toots thielemans and people like that and hermine durlu from the netherlands you know fantastic jazz players proper proper jazz players but I think, you know, what you do with those two songs, though, is a good example for people who kind of want to dip the toe into jazz, and you can kind of blues it up a little bit on the diatonic, can't you? And it, it, it works quite well on the diatonic, doesn't it, to do some reasonably light, lightweight jazz like that. It's a, it's, a good, uh, it's a good idea, I think, for some variety. Yeah, but I mean, unless you're an overblower uh, and can play chromatically on the, on the diatonic, it's always going to be a wee bit limited. So you have to uh, try and sort of keep your powder dry yeah, just just try and th- maybe think a little more. I wouldn't say less spontaneous, but but a, li- a little more careful. Tread tread a little carefully, I think. I mean, one thing you certainly get in jazz tunes more than standard blues songs generally is you get uh, a melody. Yeah, so you you know you kind of get a melody to play, don't you? Uh, as you do on those two ch- songs that we mentioned. So is that something you know you you spend the time learning the jazz melodies, and that's you know the difference with the blues songs? To be honest with those two, he just turned around in the studio and said, "I'm going to play this one. Play <laughs> along, play along with it." Uh, I'd obviously heard Sea Jam Blues before, and I, I think I'd heard, I'd heard Bags Groove before as well but I didn't I'd never played them before but it, it was again such a competent guitarist it wasn't too much of an ordeal just to uh, play around it and there's a song on the if, if it's love with a with a jaw harp on is that you playing the jaw harp on there <laughs> yes I do own one and I do bring it out from time to time <laughs> got one uh, recently actually but i haven't quite um i haven't played it too much I, i'm a bit put off by the fact that you have to put it against your teeth and it vibrates against your teeth that's right isn't it not if you're doing it uh, properly it's not supposed to hit your teeth no uh when i first started to try and play it i uh it, it hurt a lot because <laughs> i kept <laughs> i kept whacking it into my teeth so yeah you just kind of have to very gently rest your teeth on the on the metal little metal strips leaving a little gap for the uh, for the tongue to vibrate the, the metal the metal tongue to vibrate yeah no so you do put your teeth on it though don't you that's that's the what yeah, that's what I meant yeah and I, I find that quite uncomfortable because it kind of vibrates against your teeth it's like it's a very strange feeling but uh, <laughs> I'll have to have another go with it yeah if you ever get the the, the chance uh, and this this isn't me trying to make you suffer listen to some of the Mongolian jaw harp players because they're incredible 
because they set up a, a complicated rhythm and then they do like overtones, a bit like that Mongolian overtone singing. And, it, you know, so sometimes it's really percussive and then sometimes it's really melodic and the, and the range of tones that they, they can achieve with it are just incredible. You did some work with Paolo Fucci, uh, who's a, an Italian blues player. You released the album Kicking Up the Dust. did that in how long did it take us to record that six hours we basically played the live set in the studio and released it it's mainly covers in fact it's 99% covers I think there's one original on there it, it captured quite well the the sound of the of the live set uh, which is kind of what we wanted and it, it did quite well uh, it was quite well received I think that was 2016 did that one are you still playing with Paolo now? No, not played with Paolo for a few years now. These days, I generally play with a guitarist who's based in Sheffield called Alex Haynes. with another guitarist singer called Tom Atta. Great, yeah, and, and so you're mainly doing duo work with those guys? Predominantly, yes, and, and mainly, you know, in, uh, in terms of uh, expense for, for the venues. Uh, a lot of the venues can only afford to pay for a duo. But occasionally, if we're lucky, we'll get, we'll get to take a rhythm section out. I, I do occasionally put on blues events at uh, a venue called The Met in Bury near Manchester. And that's a fantastic venue with a great stage and a wonderful PA. And there we've managed to do, you know, four, five, six-piece gigs. Next year, we're doing Scarborough Blues Festival uh, with Tom with a full band. And I think, I think that's uh, April next year but unfortunately i think just you know it just comes down to the bottom line it's uh duos are cheaper yeah i mean at least they you know you get the nice space for the harmonica and the duo don't you you're not competing <clears> so much with the, the volume although it's nice to play some loud electric uh, amplified harmonica too it's kind of nice not to so yeah so great so yeah you did the album with Paolo, and then you did uh, an album 2018 which i uh, really enjoy uh, you know really well produced one i think the sea of blues Paolo's playing on that album I think, isn't he? He is, yeah. He played guitar on that. As, and, and also Tom, Tom had to play guitar on some of the tracks. In fact, I even played guitar on one of them. Yeah, the one with three, three chords. But yeah, so it's, it was a, a mixture, if you like, of uh, band tracks. So there's tracks there with rhythm section. A, a great bass player from Barbados, who's lived in Manchester since the late 60s, called Bowley. Was he the inspiration for doing the, the dubbed and burning song then? And also the, the modest man, because you kind of got two on. Yeah, you kind of got the two sort of reggae vibes, haven't you? He's well, I, I've always loved ska and reggae, 
uh, as well as blues. There isn't a massive amount of harmonica in uh, blues and reggae historically. Although Toots Hibbert uh, was quite a good harmonica player from Toots and the Maytals, I came up with those two songs. Uh, in fact, Dubbed and Burning is a sort of reggae version of the old gospel song, Keep Your Lamp Trimmed and Burning, done by uh, Mississippi Fred McDowell and uh, Blind Willie Johnson, for instance. When I thought about doing those songs, I knew that I would have Bo there and Bo would make it sound correct because he's a, he's a fantastic bass player. and he's, He actually played with Desmond Decker when he first came over to uh, the UK. He was in the band. Burning is a great, uh, a great track. I think it works well. Are you, are you playing chromatic on that one? I am. Yes, a sixteen-hole chromatic on that one. Yeah. So, what made you choose chromatic for that? Because you did sort of traditionally, you know, you might go for a more rhythmic approach from the diatonic. So, I was interested to think, yeah, it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's chromatic on here. Yeah. It was partly because it's uh, it's four octaves, so you got four octaves to play with, and also because it's in a minor key. Um, we did it in E flat minor. I could play with the sliding. If you're playing in that way, the what a blues player would call third position, using a using a minor scale or, or, or the Dorian mode, if you're going to be pedantic. One, it's quite straightforward, uh, but also you can just by releasing the slide and, and then replacing it, you get uh, a little semitone dip, which is quite effective. And also the oct- you can use the octaves. So you've got those different textural things. You've got the single note playing across four octaves so from quite low and throaty to uh, quite high and then you you know you've got the potential to use the octaves and also the glissandi and things like that i just thought it it kind of suited the track a bit better than doing it on the diatonic although i have like for instance on the uh, kicking up the dust album we covered a Derek morgan song from jamaica from the 60s which is an, in essence a 12 bar blues song but it was recorded on for trojan records with lee, lee scotch perry who's a famous producer so it's kind of a basically a, a scar 12 bar blues that lent itself to the diatonic so yeah you're chromatic playing traditional songs on, on chromatic as well you say as well as um are you most playing sort of third position blues stuff on there if, if it's in a blues contest most of the time i am playing in third position though occasionally i will play in other keys in, in other ways well i have played and recorded quite a few uh, reels and jigs and such like and polkas on on the harmonica because i'll say on the chromatic harmonica because you can do things like go from on a G, on a G chromatic, for instance, go from D minor to E minor to A minor. Uh, key changes that will be more difficult on a diatonic. Yeah, great. Uh, and you're able to you know to get around those tunes okay on the chromatic. Obviously, a bit more tricky having to deal with the slide. But on on the plus side with the with the chromatic, you've got the slide there that can provide the triplets because with that kind of music, it's full of triplets. There's a variety of ways of doing them. On a, on a diatonic, you can use a U-block technique. You can wobble your chin or you can move your head. But on the chromatic, you've got a, another option where you can basically tap the button extremely quickly and it gives you that triplet. Another song I really like on that album, Sea of Blues, is The, the Rivers of Jordan.
got, uh, well, I, I, I shamelessly thieved it from Jay Bird Coleman, who, I, I don't know if you come across Jay Bird Coleman, but he, his story is quite an interesting one. I think it's got some parallels with mine because he died in abject poverty, and I think I'm going to go the same way. Uh, but he was actually a real tour de force. He would play gigs just on his own with a harmonica. He kind of accompanies his vocals with this harmonica, not singing and playing simultaneously, but in, in such a way as to create a full sound. And he's just a fantastic player, great tone. Uh, apparently for a time, he was so popular in his local area that he was managed by the Ku Klux Klan. So it's very hard to get your head around the idea in the 1930s in, in the Deep South. If you've not come across J. Bird Coleman, I would recommend digging out his stuff because it is amazing and um, the rivers of jordan is a straight lift from his version another song on there you've got is a song called playing with myself boogie <laughs> Which is uh, which is you playing multiple harmonicas, which is something that you've got into, I think, recently, haven't you? You've released another song called Many Harps, and you know you've done a few. I think Box Room Blues as well as another one where you record yeah. multiple harmonicas onto tracks. So, uh, what about that? Yeah, I, I like the idea of it. That my, my first proper attempt at it was uh, that song, Playing with Myself, Boogie. chord harmonica not not the great big chord harmonicas that cost as much as a car i've got the, a little one that plays six chords i had to choose a key that i could use the chords on so i ended up doing it in the key of g i laid down a rhythm track using those chords uh, I, I don't know if you've ever tried to play a chord harmonica the little ones have a bass note and then a four note chord so you can kind of go boom ba boom ba you know Note, chord, note, chord. So, uh, and they've got uh, some seventh chords on, which is good for blues. So, and it, I basically recorded eight, 12 bars on the chord harmonica, and then recorded a bass line on the bass harmonica, and then recorded some parts on diatonics playing a kind of uh, uh, what you might call a boogie rhythm, you know, sort of dum, 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 dum. And then overdubbed a couple of a couple of solos in first position and a couple of solos in second position, just to give a different flavour. And these are songs entirely just harmonica, no, no other instruments. Yeah, just harmonica, nothing else. Yeah, so uh, so you've done a few of these now, as I say, that, that mentioned a few. Though I mean, it's great, you know, as a harmonica player to be able to hear them. Like you say, you can hear you, you know, you're changing positions. You've got the chords in there, and you know, any more plans to produce any of these uh, multi harmonica songs? Yeah, until uh, a petition is taken up, or you know, where the, the police come round, I'll uh, I will probably continue to explore this. Uh, Strange Avenue. One harmonica that I own that I've never managed to actually record with or use in anger is a chromatica. They're almost two feet long. They have just a, a chromatic run of notes. So it just goes C, C sharp, D, E flat, E, F, F sharp, etc., and so on and so on over, I think it's four octaves. And there are two holes and it plays the same note, blow and draw. So you can play endless glissandi. The only use I could think of it would be if you wanted to simulate a rainstorm. 
you know, I, I keep meaning to try and use it. And one day, maybe I will. But um, it, it's a weird and wonderful thing. I haven't. I don't own one of those. I own most types of harmonica, but not one of those. So you've also, you know, recently, I think probably through lockdown time, I'm guessing you you've released a few songs that you've recorded on your own, as well as these, uh, you know, harmonica multiple harmonica ones. You've mm-hmm. you've released a couple of recently, haven't you? Released "Better Off Alone," yeah. which is an original song by you. I think you're playing singing and playing guitar on there as well. Yeah. Yeah, so again, and, and multiple harmonicas, and uh, by and by. But so you're recording these at home, you've got sort of a, a home setup you've been doing these over the last year. Yeah, just a very basic, um, probably obsolete technology now. But it's a a little machine called a Boss BR-800. It's a digital recording device uh, with uh, four, five inputs on it. You can uh, apparently get 24 virtual tracks on it. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. So everything I record is basically six tracks. Not a bad. If I can use it, then basically any anybody with opposable thumbs could, could use it. Uh, so I've got a, a large diaphragm microphone, a relatively cheap one, and, and this little recording machine. So you record each track, and then I use a very simple free program called Audacity to mix it slightly and EQ and such like and edit it and uh, and away you go. Yeah, brilliant. I think there's a lot of interest in, in that these days, isn't there? Maybe, again, maybe over the last year or so where people have got really interested in doing home recording. And mm. so, yeah, interesting that you're using a kind of uh, a machine like that rather than a computer to do it then. You've, you've not attempted, well, apart from Audacity, of course, but you're recording into this um, this box, as you say. Yeah, and then that, that uh, obviously communicates with the, the laptop for editing purposes, but I am not very computer literate. It's a miracle that I'm talking to you now, to be honest. I didn't go down the Cubase, Logic, Pro Tools route, uh, route because I know that I, it would just frustrate me and I wouldn't be able to un- to understand it fully. Great to hear that, you know, like you say you can record in that way and yeah, and get some good stuff out. Yeah, so great. And um, But yeah, basically, like you say, you're just using one large diaphragm microphone, you're nothing else microphone-wise. For recording, uh, just that large diaphragm mic, uh, not even, I mean, I've got obviously some SM58s, but I don't bother using those. Uh, it, it, it's been educational in a way in terms of mic placement, just, the, just the, the distances needed to successfully record vocals and acoustic harmonica and then amplified harmonica. It's get, getting that distance right so you're getting the quality of the sound but you're not obviously overloading it and distorting all on the other side of the coin it's not too quiet so it's been it's been interesting have you been picking up the the amplified harmonica with the large diaphragm mic as well i have yeah making use of the uh, the smallest room in the house very un, very undignified for the amp it sits on the toilet <laughs> and the uh, the microphone is set up by the by the bathroom door and uh, it seems to work I saw that picture on Facebook. Yeah, so was is is that for the you know for the acoustics or reverb in the in the in the bathroom or you just like putting your amp on a toilet? Yeah, yeah. There's that. There's that. That's probably one good reason. It's just it's it's the most straightforward way for me to do it. Really, in the house, it's just mm-hmm. stick it on the toilet, set the microphone by the door, and uh, and away you go. You've done really well getting out some tracks. You know, you've been uh, obviously very active over the last year or so. We're getting these out, and you know, ah, but getting some tracks down. It's obviously been important to you to lay some tracks down. You know, over the years and getting some albums out. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. It's not just purely for the purposes of expressing my uh, angst to the world. You need to record so people can hear you and know who you are and hopefully come and see you play somewhere. Yeah, and as well as that, I think, you know, going through this sort of pain of recording, you know, you think uh, you think you, you can play something until you record it and listen back to it, yeah, and you go, oh, God, I've got to play that a hundred times before, in some cases, you know. Yeah, I save, I save most of my bad language for the studio, to be honest. The amount, the amount and volume of swearing is just unreal. Uh, you think you have something in your head, okay, I'll, I'll play this part over this particular piece of the tune, and by take 25... You're thinking, I'm never going to get this. It never never seems to come out the way it does in your imagination. Yeah. But I think once you do record something and you go through that pain, then then you can really play it. I think that's a really good way to learn, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. I also forget as well, unfortunately. I'll, I'll do something and it, it will work, it, in, in my opinion. And then I'll, I'll listen to it a few months later and think, I have no idea how I did that. Mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of airplay on radio, haven't you, with with your tracks? You uh, you seem to have got on all sorts of radio stations all around the world with with your tracks on sort of various blues shows and things. Yeah, it's it's been very gratifying and uh, very grateful. Uh, to, uh, I get played uh, nearly every week in Brazil, which which astounds me. Tasmania, where I was at, I was on the radio in Uruguay this week, North America. But yeah, I've been played in all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful places, which is which is lovely. So how do you get on these radio shows? Is it something you push out yourself? Or Yeah, yeah. well, I, I can't afford to pay somebody to do it for me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a case of research, looking around on the internet, usually, for blues DJs or, or blues radio shows. Uh, there are also things like uh, there's a company called Airplay Direct, which is an American company, where you upload tracks and then you can send what, what they call a digital press kit out to radio stations, DJs, and they can download the tracks from, from the site. That's been quite useful for a lot of the American airplay. In this country, it's quite well organised. There is a, a sort of, I forget the term now, a sort of confederation of uh, British blues DJs, and you can contact them all in one fell swoop by sending an email to their main email address. Fantastic. Uh, and get a bit of exposure. Do you do you even get paid for uh, these radio appearances? or? Uh, it's kind of a sliding scale. Uh, I was on Radio 2 uh, last July. Uh, Kerish Matthews was kind enough to play that uh, tune, playing with myself, Boogie, on Radio 2. And that, obviously, uh, a, a sizable royalty accrues from that. But the royalties from internet radio and very small stations is obviously very small. But every little helps, you know, and I'm always grateful. Yeah, no, great. Great to well done getting out there. And uh, and you played uh, other things as well. I think you've uh, had your music on a Sky show called uh, Intergalactic. Just before the first lockdown in 2020, I was asked with Alex Haynes, the guitarist I work with from Sheffield, to compose two tunes for two scenes in this uh Sky sci-fi series called Intergalactic. So we wrote the tunes, the producers liked them, so we went to the woods in Orderly Edge, which is near Manchester, in the middle of March, 
and sat there for 17 hours in the freezing cold, playing about four seconds of each tune over and over and over again. Because I don't know if you've ever done any filming, but they sort of say, action, and then they say, cut, about four seconds later, move the cameras, do it all again, move the cameras, do it all again, ad infinitum, until you lose the will to live. And so but we, did, we did it anyway. But I had a quick scam, quick skim through the uh, the series on, uh, on uh, the television the other week, and I couldn't see our scene. So I suspect that they may have cut the scene. Oh dear. Uh, don't say oh dear because they paid us quite handsomely for doing it. So, <laughs> But uh, I was kind of on 8 out of 10 Castles Countdown last yeah. year as well. They uh, called me in to play the clock theme on the harmonica because it's filmed in Salford in Manchester at the uh, Media City so they wanted a bluesy version of the of the clock theme you know dun, 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 dun. it's only 30 seconds of music uh, so I turned up they uh, pressed record in the studio and I, and I did it and then Jimmy Carr came on and mimed to it so I'm not I'm not actually on <laughs> you don't see me uh, but uh, it was me playing while he uh, mimed on a tremolo harmonica for purists will be there screaming at the television screen you know it's the wrong harmonica <laughs> it's like uh, I went to the cinema to see a film about Charles Darwin once years ago and uh, it, it is a true story that Charles Darwin gave a harmonica to an orangutan in London Zoo to see what its reaction would be to the, to the sound uh, but in the film he gives it a chromatic harmonica and they weren't invented until the next century so uh, I just turned turn to the person I was with and said that's it the film's ruined for me now it's the, it's the wrong harmonica yeah so a question asked each time is if you had 10 minutes to practice what would you spend those 10 minutes doing if I had 10 minutes I would work on bends for a fair bit because it's like uh, a muscle that needs to be constantly flexed the control of the bends and doing bends as quietly as possible but successfully uh, so I'd spend a bit of time on a, on a diatonic on all three just working on those bends. I'd probably do a little bit of tongue blocking work just to, again, keep the wheels oiled uh, with the rhythmic work and, and the placement of the octaves. Probably for like the last couple of minutes, I'd just go nuts and just play around, mess around, have some fun. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll get on to talking about gear now. So you're a, you're a sidle endorser. Yes, I am. Which, uh, which ones do you like of those? For blues, I predominantly use the 1847 classics with the wooden comb i've got i've got more than any saying human really needs but i've got one in every key and i've got low tunings i like them i like them they're durable reliable the intonation is good the tone is good i like the feel of them some some people may find them slightly perhaps a bit too chunky compared to the dimensions of say an old-fashioned marine band which are slightly smaller for me they feel comfortable and they do what I need them to do when I need them to do it. I do have a set of lightnings. I do like them. I keep them for best, as it were. Also, I've got one of the Symphony Chromatics. It's a it's a lovely, lovely instrument. That's the one with the magnetic slide, isn't it? Yeah, and it also comes in a heated case. When I first got it, I had a gig at Manchester Jazz Festival playing in the Midland Hotel, and we had a set to do, uh, shall we say, midday and another set at 3 p.m so i did the first set put the harmonica in its heated case and forgot that i'd left it on so when it came back three hours later i could barely pick it up <laughs> it, was, it was red up so if you do get one don't forget to turn the damn thing off but yeah they're, they're, they're lovely uh, and I, I use the the saxony chromatics a lot for traditional music 
usually in the key of G. For Irish music, a G chromatic and, and a G diatonic tend to be the most useful for playing the tunes on, especially if you want to play in a session. I find uh, obviously so G and D are the uh, the common keys aren't it, for those songs. I, I find the G's are, are very low though, so they're, they're hard to cut through. So how do you overcome that on the the lower G's? I don't really have a problem cutting through with them. Really, I think mainly because once you once you start playing a harmonica in this session, most people just put their instruments down and stare at you. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, I think the, the, the cutting through business it's a, it's a bit like well, it's very very much like the projection when you're singing projecting a voice it's just trying to introduce that little bit of sort of diaphragm to to push it out slightly without obviously using more air or blowing more violently to be honest i've, I've not struggled with uh with, with cutting through and when you're playing traditional songs with the with the diatonics what do you tend to use for those well obviously with sidle you can get any tuning configuration you want so uh, i ordered up a few nobles in fact as you mentioned before with the Paddy Richter tuning, so a, a G diatonic basically with three below tuned up to the notes of E. And I've also got uh, a couple in D with that Paddy Richter tuning as well. And I find yeah, the, the nobles are great for the traditional stuff and, and also for bluegrass as well. But one thing you'll find if, you, if you're playing bluegrass on the diatonic, you'll need to do the bends in hole number two as well. If you're playing Irish traditional music and a lot of the also Scottish traditional music, you don't tend to need that bend in hole number two. I don't know if this helps, but if you imagine the tin whistle, the bottom note on it is D, and you don't go below that D. So you wouldn't need the bend in hole number two, but you do need the bend in hole number three or the note there because you need that note of E. But then two drawer is a, is a D. So you don't, you don't really often need to go below that. But if you play bluegrass... You do. It, it still makes it easier uh, to use that tuning, but you do still have to do a bit of bending as well. Yeah, and you're mainly playing what first position on these tunes, are you? Well, no. Um, uh, for instance, there's, there's, there's a set of tunes out there. It's on the House Devils album. It's on the SoundCloud page. I think it might be on Bandcamp as well. Called the uh, the Hearty Boys of Ballymote. That's the first tune. from a tune in G, uh, so first position if you like, to a tune in E minor, and then to a tune in A minor, which is technically third position, if you think about it in the blues way. So yeah, uh, but th- 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 those tend to be the main keys on the G diatonic, obviously. G, E minor, A minor, occasional tunes in D that don't have a C sharp in them, and very rarely some tunes in some quite unusual keys. It just depends on how they were written. So, for instance, there's a tune you could play using um, the Phrygian mode, you know, and it's actually it's technically in F sharp, but because of the way it was written, uh, you can play it on a on a G diatonic. Yeah, great. Yeah, so it's obviously you're playing different positions in there, and the Paddy Richter's good for that, isn't it? With that three blow razor tone, as you say. So, do you play any other tunings beside the Paddy Richter? I don't. Uh, I use standard Richter tune diatonics uh, and the Paddy Richters, and that's it. 
and obviously chromatics, but you know, you, you know how they tune. Do you do any overblows? Nope. <laughs> on the embouchure wise, what do you do? I flip between three techniques. So I, I use use a fair amount of lip pursing or puckering, as the Americans call it. I use quite a lot of tongue blocking, and I use quite a lot of U blocking as well, especially if I'm playing. The traditional stuff, because again, you can do the triplets by moving the tongue. Yeah, it's just my personal taste, but it it makes it a little bit easier to achieve them at high speed. Yeah, I've never really tried the U blocking. Then is that something you picked up later on, or? Yeah, I just happened upon it before before I had a name for it or I'd ever heard it discussed. But it's it's basically in essence, it's a process of sticking the tip of the tongue underneath the hole that you want to play, and the size of the tongue block off the holes that you don't need, and it's it's good for accuracy at speed it's good for the triplets and it's good for big jumps up and down the harmonica we don't do too many of them normally and uh, equipment wise what amplifiers do you like to use <laughs> i've got a lovely little workhorse five watt valve amper with a 10 inch speaker it's a vht and it's been modified for harmonica so preamp valves have been changed circuits have been altered slightly uh, all done by a fellow called nigel who lives in rochdale near manchester uh, his company's called almico magnet and he modified this vht and i've had it for about, well, about nearly 10 years now and it's been a fantastic little workhorse uh, obviously great for duo gigs it's got sufficient volume for that context and it's i've even used it successfully with bands you know where it's been mic'd up i've also got a a custom boutique amp if you like also made by nigel briggs uh which he calls a mighty mo and that's an eight inch speaker also five watts in the tweed cabinet that's what i used on playing with myself boogie and by and by and many harps that, that's that's the amp i used on those it's it's the i i think cracking sound for amplified harmonica uh i've got a fender basement 59 a reissue obviously not a not an original one uh, which to be honest i mainly tend to use just for the an extra bit of oomph so what i will do is uh, go into the vht and then from the line out socket of the vht go into the basement uh so if you like the vht is acting like a preamp for the basement so by combining the two i get quite a lot of grit uh, which which you can alter it doesn't have to be really dirty but i get i move more air so there's more presence to the harmonica and if i am playing with a with a band then it does give a bit more body uh, without feeding back too much i've got a fender champion 600 modified for harmonica that's uh something ridiculous like a six inch speaker i don't use it very often to be honest uh but i have one also got a, a 1964 fender bandmaster which is what they call a piggyback amp so it's a two by ten inch speaker cabinet with a head on top it's 40 watts it's 1964 so it's battered and bruised it's got cigarette burns on it but it sounds absolutely devastating when playing with a band you can just use that most cases to be honest i tend to use the same microphone i've got quite a few bullet mics but i've got a 1952 green bullet with a controlled reluctance element inside it that's my go-to and any effects any effects pedals no i've got one pedal it's a, a volume pedal which is basically just on and off. Obviously, people have volume pots on, on the microphone, but I, I just find it a little bit easier using the foot. Well, so what about the future plans? Things starting to open up for you now? Yeah, um, I've got quite a lot of gigs booked in between sort of next week and the end of August, at least 
one a week, sometimes two or three a week. So, yeah, hopefully uh, things will return to some kind of normality. Okay. So thanks so much for joining me, Matt Wartlake. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much, Matt. And over to you to show us how you do it with those many harps. (laughs) 